we're going to have our reading from there in a little bit. So Matt, you can just get ready in your own time. Not now, not yet, not yet. Great. So tonight we're finishing off our series on Acts, which is my great privilege to, uh, to enjoy with you all. And we're speaking about tonight, we're speaking about generosity. I thought I'd share a couple of stories of generosity with you today. Uh, yesterday, we started celebrating Christmas in the Sheath household. We actually had Christmas number one of uh, four, which is exciting. Number two coming uh, next Saturday. It seems to come quite quickly, doesn't it? As soon as December is upon us, celebrating Christmas is something that can happen almost on a weekly basis. And working for a church, the tendency is, so you probably just want to do a wide shot. I'm just going to wander around a lot and just kind of, you know, dance around. And basically... Yesterday, uh, my um, sorry, yeah. so my in-laws were in, which was which was great, and uh, they were very generous with their presents, which also means they overstayed their welcome. And um, so, <laughs> little joke. I, I will just let you know that uh, for those of you who've never heard me speak before, which is actually most of you, because I only normally speak to children or young people, because that's who I'm allowed to speak to. I, d- I do try and crack the occasional joke. So just to humour me, if you wouldn't mind, you know, laughing or giggling or kind of hitting the person next to you, so <laughs> that was a terrible joke, then that's fine. Uh, okay, other, other kind of generosity. Uh, where's Ewan? Ewan, would you like to just come forward for a minute, mate? Come on, come on, I've got a present for you. I've got a present for you, and it's exciting. Give Ewan a big round of applause, he's amazing. Can you just open it for everyone to see? What is it going to be? I don't know, I don't know. What are our expectations right now? Expectations for something exciting, perhaps? Oh, look at that. It's a broken iPhone. It's a broken iPhone. Oh, that's false generosity. Off you go. You can go and sit down. Go and sit down. <laughs> oh, I've been waiting to do that all day. Great. So also, uh, thinking of uh, generosity, can we have our slide up? I, uh, I showed exceeding generosity this afternoon in cleaning out the tumble dryer. Yes, I even got rid of the, f- the fluff in the filter, you know, the belly button fluff that's gone absolutely mental and just covers the filter. I don't know why it even gets in there. Anyway, generosity. I'm such a generous person, so generous. <laughs> that was just a joke, by the way. I am a generous person. Anyway, let's continue. So we're thinking tonight about generosity, and we're thinking about how a spirit-filled community is a generous community. We can't be generous without the spirit. And in our reading, we're going to see in a moment, not quite yet, Matt, just making sure you're awake. We're going to see how the filling of the spirit released generosity on an incredible scale and actually changed a whole community's lives. But before we get into that, Whenever I get to Acts, I always have this thing in the back of my mind that comes to me and says, uh, the three Ps. I have three Ps for Acts. It doesn't mean I go to the toilet lots, uh, but I have three things to remember. As soon as I get to Acts, I think of these three things. So I'm just going to share my uh, three Ps with you. The first one is power. Acts is about the power of the Holy Spirit. The power coming and God's power releasing people to do what? To do their purpose, their God-given purpose. But with that, with God's power and a new purpose and direction comes my favourite thing, which is unpredictability. You never know what's going to happen. You know, I know it's not a P, technically. But uh, you didn't, didn't know it was going to happen. See how it's unpredictable. Even the P is unpredictable. Thank you. There's a joke. There's a laugh. So God's power comes and he gives his people a new sense of purpose and direction. And guess what? It's unpredictable. Incredible things happen as we're about to have in our incredible reading. Matt Laporte reads the Bible. 
Thanks very much. Yeah, Matt, you just, you just do that. That's great. Okay. It's a great jumper from the back as well. So well done. Acts 2, verses 41 to 47. That day, about 3,000 took him at his word, were baptized, and were signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles and all the believers lived in a wonderfully harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. Great. Thanks, Matt. Excellent job. If you want to find uh, that reading, you can go to your pew Bible and, uh, and turn to Acts, which is in the New Testament. I'd love to tell you a page number, but I don't have it. So, Excellent. 1094, if you want to pick that up. Thank you, Matt. Matt was reading from the message version, which is a little bit of a different translation. And rather than the, the reading that, um, that we often get in, uh, in Acts for this part, the fellowship of the believers, as it's called in the NIV, starts at verse 42. But interestingly, the message starts at 41. And I think it's important for us to help, uh, help us understand what the rest of this passage is, is speaking into, who these people are. Because if we start at just verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're like, well, who are they? Who's this they, this mysterious group of people? Well, travel back one verse, and it's those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're going to have a look, first of all, at three things that go on in these first few passages. So just looking at uh, from verses 42 yeah, down to 45. So we've got a community that focuses on teaching first. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that led them to community, to sharing community together. And that led them into worship. It was like a natural flow from one to the next. Now, as we go through tonight's talk, I'm going to ask you some questions. I'd love it if we had a bit of a conversation. So why don't we start? We'll start the conversation off. Turn to the person next to you. I want you to ask this question. What does it mean that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? Off you go. What does it mean? Super, good conversation. You're very good at this. What do we have some brave people uh, shout out loudly from where you are what you think it means that they, these people were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching? Let's have somebody shout out. They told everyone about it. Excellent. So it had some kind of, I need to share what I'm being taught. What else? They tried to live it out. Yeah, it had a practical outworking in their life. It wasn't that they just sat around listening to people and writing things down about it. They did something about it. What else?
Yeah, they were devoted, so they gave their whole heart. They didn't hold anything back. They didn't go, oh, today I'm just going to kind of like, you know, go and hang out and then I'll go back to do whatever I want to do. It's I'm going to give my whole heart. This has consumed me. What else? Let's have one or two more. Gave all their time to it. Yeah, absolutely. We read in that passage, they met day after day after day. Man alive. Can you imagine hanging out with me every day? <laughs> yeah, speak to my wife. Okay, last one, last one. Can you shout again? Yeah, they sold all they had as well and gave it to the common purse. That's, that's quite a, an extravagant thing to do, isn't it? To sell what you have. We're going to get onto that a little bit later. So devoting themselves to teaching. The apostles taught generosity and these people actively lived it out. The outflow of their teaching impacted their living. So the teaching changed the way that they lived, the way they responded to one another. Now, it's interesting that actually this passage is about the community of faith. It's about being generous with one another. And these people, these 3,000 people, they just arrived on the scene. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, you can come along and you can come and hang out, but, you know, it's going to be three years before we actually share anything with you. You might be able to get a meal or two out of, uh, out of Jill because she'll just feed anybody. But, uh, but if you really want to get in the center of this community, you're going to have to do hard time. And that looks like praying on your knees every day. That looks like going to everybody's house and serving as much as you can. And then eventually, eventually you'll be part of the in crowd. And then, then we'll share with you. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Everyone was filled with awe, signs and wonders. All believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, giving to anyone as they had need. There was no hierarchy. There was no work your way into the center. It is a community of love, of acceptance, and generosity at the center. This spirit-filled generosity that flowed from the teaching into the community and to worship. Do you like that fade? Their teaching impacted their lives. It flowed into their community, and it breathed out worship to God. How beautiful is that? I think sometimes a tendency can be, particularly if you've been a Christian for a long time, that that we kind of, we want to get our teaching right. We want to get our theology right. We want the theory to be what we base our lives upon so that when the opportunity comes, when that perfect moment arises, we'll know what to do about it. But here we see that the teaching influenced their lives instantly. It was straight away. It was hold nothing back. It was give everything. It was put your whole heart in. It's be part of this community to the fullest and most beautiful extent of it right now. And that flowed into their worship It actually drew them together as they celebrated the common meal together, as they ate communion, as they prayed, as they worshipped, as they met in the temple courts. Just a little question just for you to think about. You don't have to chat to the person next to you. But those are the three priorities of this new community. Teaching, of being devoted to teaching, of of one another and of worship. I I was thinking, I ended up asking myself, what, what are my top three priorities at the moment? What would I put them as? I might say, I might say my, my job. Uh, I might say my family. I might say uh, uh, winding Janie up, which is, uh, is, is honestly, it's one of, my, one of my priorities. Probably needs addressing, to be fair. But what are our th- top three priorities? What would you say our top three priorities as a church is? 
it's interesting when we stop and we think about that, isn't it? It's like, okay, well, what, what are we really about at the root of it? Who are we? We're here to love God. We're here to uh, love people, and we're here to make a difference. That's, that's, that's our mission statement as a church. Is that mission or vision? I always get them confused. Vision. It's a vision statement. Sorry. Vision. That's our vision. That's what we want to be about. Community. Teaching. Worship. Seeing God's world impacted. So looking at verse 44 and 45, if you've got that, it goes like this. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, that is pretty sacrificial, if you ask me. That's, that is pretty sacrificial, isn't it? I mean, like, to say, yeah, I'm prepared to sell my possessions, the things that I've earned, and I think particularly nowadays where the, the, the tendency is for us to accumulate, isn't it? We have to accumulate. We have to, uh, we have to better ourselves and our surroundings. We have to show that we have the stuff that everyone's meant to have. And, and we're kind of focused on, on, on number one. We're focused on ourselves. Now, one interesting thing, I don't know about you, you've, you've heard about um, mindfulness is, kind of, is, is really out there at the moment, isn't it? And, uh, and I was speaking to a friend of mine who's, um, uh, who's, who's working on a resource for schools, which, is, which it kind of takes, it takes the, the thoughtful reflectiveness of mindfulness, but it puts it in community rather than in individualism. Because the thing about mindfulness is that it just teaches us to be, uh, to be okay with, with where we are, not where we are in community. And being sacrificial and giving, of, giving to someone else when actually we might not get the benefit of that is kind of the opposite of that. The, the, the world that we, we're, we live in at the moment, which is saying it's all about you. It's all about putting yourself first. It's all about making sure that, that you're cared for first and then doing someone else. I always feel really bad when I'm on a plane, you know, and they, and, and the, they do the announcement at the beginning. And they say, and if we, uh, we, the, the oxygen mask comes down, uh, put one on yourself first before your child. And I'm like thinking, I want to put my child first man that's so rude but I understand that it's so that I can actually then put it on the face rather than you know passing out and not being able to do anything at all anyway sorry I've got this great excerpt from a book uh, every now and again when I feel really holy I pick up um, I pick up John Stott's through the bible through the year and I read it and it's only it's it's literally this long it's it's tiny but it makes me feel good and I read this a little while ago and I was reminded of it when I came to this. And this is, what, uh, this is what he says about this particular part. A few miles east of Jerusalem at that time uh, lived the Essene leaders of the Qumran community. Love that, Qumran community. Uh, and they were committed to the common ownership of property. And the members of that monastic community handed over all their money and possessions when they were initiated. So this idea of sharing what you have and selling what you have is nothing new. It wasn't like, oh my word, these Christians, they're so forward thinking. Oh, it's incredible. Actually, something was going on at the time. But interesting, isn't it, that these people, they had to hand over all their property and possession when they were initiated. What we see conversely in here is that this is a willful act of response to what God has done, not a requirement for being part of this community. Now, for those of you who've just got the latest iPhone, you're probably thinking, I don't have to sell my new phone. I don't have to give it into the common purse so that we can give somebody a tuna sandwich and a banana. Um, but uh, what else does it mean? What is, what is this? Sorry, that was a weird thing. Let's carry on. Certainly, Jesus does call some to total voluntary poverty, like the rich young ruler or St. Francis of Assisi and his followers, or Mother Teresa and her sisters. 
may be to witness to the truth that a human life does not consist of in the abundance of our possessions. But not all Jesus' followers are called to this. The prohibition on private property is a Marxist and not Christian doctrine. So this thing, it's, it's not a requirement, but it's a heart response. It's a desire. I have a love. I see a need. I have an abundance. I'm going to do something with my abundance to see that need fulfilled. Now, I am a very grateful beneficiary of your kindness, actually on a monthly basis. I don't know if you realize that. If you give to this church monthly, I and my family benefit from your kindness every single month. That's real generosity. Without your generosity, I would not be stood here. Uh, I would not have uh, these shoes. I would uh, not have this phone, which I can use to control my fancy iPad. Which Actually, that was a gift. Um, but you get the point. I'm the beneficiary of your generosity every single month. And that makes a huge difference. I was also the beneficiary earlier this year when, uh, I don't know if you, some of you will know this, uh, I got a Bell's palsy out of nowhere. My face like, just started to melt like a wax candle. And it was really weird. It came out of absolutely nowhere. I remember it still really clearly. It was on the 10th of January. And I'd been having these headaches for a few days. And, um, and Joey, my wife, she, she was at the doctor's and she arranged an, uh, an appointment for me because, you know, I'm a man and I'm kind of like, I don't really want, sorry, that's not true. I am a man, that is true. Uh, but <laughs> it's not uh, typical of men to be uh, averse to going to the doctor's. It's not typical of women. Anyway, let's just move on. So I was refusing to go to the doctor's because I thought, I, it's probably fine. I get headaches a lot anyway. It's not a big deal. And she phoned me up and she said, there's a, there's a, I've got an appointment for you. It's in 15 minutes. I was like, I'm at work. Can't I just leave the desk? And she said, no, I think it's worth doing. And, uh, and I said, okay. And I, for some reason, weirdly, I just closed my eyes and scrunched my eyes up. I'd never normally do that after a phone call. <laughs> and I, I did it. Anyway. And, and I noticed I couldn't actually squeeze this eye shut. It was really weird. And then I felt like this numbness traveling down my face. And I thought, oh, no. I'm having a stroke. This is really bad. And then I start, I literally, I just, I got my bag, got my coat on, and I ran out of the church as quickly as possible. I probably left my computer on, and Josh being like, Josh was there like, what's going on? What's wrong with your face, you weirdo? And as I was running down the street, I was running past where they, they were building waitress till at the time. I was running along, and I was like, oh no, I can't feel my nose either. My lip feels really numb. What is happening? I was freaking out. And I got Bell's palsy. Came absolutely came out of nowhere. And uh, I will just tell you this really quickly. I went to the doctor and he said, yeah, we, we need to get you to, uh, to hospital right away. I was like, cheers for calming me down. He said, I'm going to write you a note. I said, okay. He said, give it to the head nurse when you get to the A&E department. And I said, okay, this is fine. So I go there with my note. I give it to her. And I'm literally like, I've been sweating like you wouldn't believe because I, th I think I'm dying. And... Um, Again, it's not funny. It's a true story, man. And I give her the note. She opens the note. She looks at it, and her face just goes, your symptoms are quite serious. So we won't leave you out here. We'll get you a bed straight away. It's like, thanks very much. And she says, well, yeah, it's probably fine. You know, 99% of people are probably fine. But Joey was with me, and at that time, she was, like, really pregnant. And the nurse said, but we don't want you to be that 1% and for that little one to miss out on you. I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> Not generous. Not generous at all. Sorry. Yeah, we've skipped that story. Great. So let's look at verse 46. Sorry, no, the point of that story was, though there was a point to it, mercifully. Mike's like, thank you, carry on, re rewind. 
The point is, in the, in the days following that, we witnessed as a family some incredible generosity from this church and our friends. People who would come over and pray for me, even when I had my pirate patch on because my eye wouldn't close. And it was just very embarrassing. My children genuinely thought I was just practicing for a pirate role that I was going to do at some stage. They thought it was really funny. People who, who uh, there was uh, one family sent me uh, sent me a song, uh, which is called Safe and Sound, um, which uh, which I, which I list, I listened to as I was in hospital, and I'm not joking. I had to stop listening to it several times because it just it really it really impacted me in, in such a way that it reminded me that God is holding me in this time. You know, generosity that meant we're going to keep on seeing you, we're going to keep on blessing you, and when things are really hard, we're going to take your children and look after them for you so that you can you can just not worry about that. We, uh, we went over to, uh, to the Isle of Wight as well to stay at the Pepper's house. If you're here, Deborah Pepper, thank you so much. And your husband, whose name I've randomly forgot. Um, thank you, Simon. Uh, was that? Sandy, great, great, Sandy, Sandy. But we were, we were the beneficiaries of incredible generosity. And in that time of genuine and great need, it made such a difference to our family. And it reminded us of the family, the community that we're a part of. This was the teaching of God being put into action that impacted us in this community. And it drew out a worship from us, actually. It drew out, it drew out a, a thankfulness. It drew out a centeredness for me on who God is and that he's in control. I didn't need to worry because, actually, whether I was here or not, he would provide for my family because he's generous. And the community he's placed us in are generous. Verse 46, they, uh, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread. Uh, and so worship was a daily, joyful, and genuine act. Worship, this, this daily thing that they, that they gave themselves to. It was joyful. They were exuberant. Yeah, exuberant. Have you ever been exuberant in worship before? Where well, there's just like an effervescence. There's like a sense of God being here. You just, you just can't keep it in. It's a genuine act. It's a real act. It's a, it's a hopeful thing. I just came across this quote a little while ago. Don't come to church to worship. And I read that first bit. I was like, what? Graham Kendrick, the worship leader? What are you saying? But mercifully, he went on. He said, come to church worshiping. Don't come to church to do your worship. Come to church worshiping. Come to church giving God the glory, giving him of what, he, what, he, what is owed to him, the truth of who he is. Don't come here expecting to be given it. And that actually changed my, my thinking around like, what, what does it mean to be part of this community? What does it mean to be part of a community of faith who devote themselves to teaching, who devote themselves to community, who devote themselves to one another? Okay. And praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number those who are being saved daily. Now, uh, has any of you ever seen Take Me Out? This is, this is an opportunity to, uh, to shamefully own up to watching that hideous program. Well done. And you know where he says, right, no likey, no likey. Remember that? It's not a bad impression, is it? Well, here we have the people who are watching these Christians, and they're like this. Likey. I'm not turning my light off. I likey what I sees. That's <laughs> true. That's what they did. They all had buzzers. They didn't have buzzers. But they loved what they saw. They saw something that was genuine. They saw something that went beyond just themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to church just for me. Because if I came to church just for me, that's going to get dead boring. It really is. Because, to be honest, I'm going to own up to this. I'm not the most interesting person in the world. It's true. <laughs> I'm like, no. It's true. And sorry to burst your bubble, but neither are you. 
God is the most interesting person in the world. He is who we've come to gather around. He is who we've come to receive from. He is who we've come to be changed by. And we are his children. You know, there's this wonderful phrase in there. God has no grandchildren. We're all his children. From the youngest to the oldest, there is no level system. You don't have to level up. You've not got to do the right things. You're not going to collect all the coins. That was a level up reference. Sorry to Mario. There's nothing you need to do. For he's done it all. And if in his generosity of not holding his son back, not withholding his spirit without measure, how much more should we act in generosity with one another? Because when we do, it's exciting. And people are like, me likey. Me likey a lot. And that's what it's about, isn't it? So why don't you turn to the person next to you and ask them them this question. What was it that made their faith so infectious? What was it? Three, two, one, off you go. One. Great. Let's have some people shouting out, let's be brave. What was it that made their faith so infectious? Number one. Their passion. Passionate. Excellent. Number two. Number two, don't be, don't be shy. The Holy Spirit, excellent, excellent marks, Matt. Well done, well done. Holy Spirit, passionate, Holy Spirit. What else? Power, power at the back. Joyful. Maybe one more. Oh, that, that sounded like the same thing. Shout it. Equipment. They were equipped. Commitment, commitment. They were equipped as well. They brought equipment wherever they went. But their commitment, yes. Again? Excellent. John's Gospel. All men will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. All those things made their faith infectious. It meant that the people around them were like, I like what that is about. I like what that is about because it isn't just about them. I can be part of it. I don't have to level up. I don't have to make my way to the upper echelons of that community to be fully part of it, to fully experience this incredible generosity and kindness and love. I can be part of that community. It was a genuine community. It was an infectious community in a good way. Jesus said this, didn't he? You are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. They were being salt and light where they were called to be. And generosity was something that people got a front seat to witness. It didn't matter if you'd been a Christian for ages or if you'd been a Christian for five seconds. The generosity they extended to you was transformative, was intentional, was birthed in the teaching of the apostles in that community of love and it was worship to God. Uh, Wayne Grudem, yeah, theologian, check me out. Wayne Grudem, write it down. Uh, Wayne Grudem highlights these four things of the work of the Spirit. Number one, the work of the Spirit is to empower, to purify, to unify, and reveal. And right here, the work of the Spirit was revealing to the people around of the reality of God. As they witnessed this community of generosity, it revealed something about who God was. In your generosity, it reveals something about who God is. 
Now, uh, a quick question. How can we be generous with our friends, with our family, with our colleagues and our neighbours? If generosity is something that reveals the presence and power and, uh, and unpredictability of God, then how can we be generous with these people, with family, with friends, with colleagues, with our neighbours? Uh, our neighbours um, are... Uh, our lovely family who live above us. And every now and again, this lovely family decide that they need to have a party that finishes at 3 a.m. Now, it's incredibly difficult to be generous with someone when they're partying to 3 a.m. On a Saturday, because I work on a Sunday, and sometimes I have to get up very early on a Sunday. And when you're lying there and your children have kept you awake until like midnight, and you're like, okay, now's the bedtime. I lie down and all you can hear is, <laughs> I kid you not, this is, this is so real. I'm caught in a trap. Oh, no, he's got Elvis on again. I can't hold back. Oh, no, please, no, please hold back. It's very hard to be generous with someone who is, is what it feels like intentionally, intentionally singing to Elvis unnecessarily at 2.34 a.m. It's not helpful. And so what any rational person would do, like I did, is go upstairs and ring on the doorbell three, four, five, I don't know, 17,000 times, and um, to, to no answer, because the music is so loud, obviously, um, and so then you've got to bang on the door. It's awful, but you've got to go bang louder than the music. So it's like this. <laughs> Everyone else has woken up, and they came, they came to the door, and it was not pretty. It was really, I was like, I was in my pajamas. Um, they're all right, actually. And, um, and I had to say, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I'm really sorry. Would you, would you mind? Um, obviously, I did it like that. <laughs> I didn't go, would you please? <laughs> would you ever so kind? Would you just carefully, mindly, just by, by maybe 10 or 15%, just turn the music down? And, uh, and it went really badly, actually. Uh, and, uh, and they got really cross, they got really angry. You've ruined our evening, I can't believe you've done this. Uh, your baby like makes noise at, at two in the afternoon. It's like, they are a baby and this is 2 a.m. There's a bit of a difference. And uh, they're like, just, you know, anyway, we had this argument, it wasn't pretty. And the next day I had a decision because obviously we're gonna see them fairly regularly. And, uh, and I just thought to myself like, in what way can I diffuse this situation? And I thought, I know, I'll, I'll buy some flowers and I'll buy some, uh, some wine. And it, why throw, you know, petrol on a fire? But um, I just thought, that, that hopefully shows that, that I, I, I want to kind of do something to mend this relationship. And if any small way of little show of generosity could do that, then I'm, I'm willing to do that. And you know what? Even It, it costs like, what, six pounds or something. I know, I bought cheap wine. Um, but... <laughs> False generosity. No, I'm joking. I don't know what wine. I don't drink, so I don't know what good wine is. Um, anyway, I, ga I gave this simple gift, and do you know what? As as he saw me at the door, he didn't notice what I had in my hands, and his face was so angry to see me again. Less than twelve hours later, like he's like, and he always started. He was defensive straight away. He was like, "Was well, no, no." And he had to backtrack. As I just offered these gifts and said, "I'm really sorry for ruining your evening last night." Um, I hope, I hope this is just, you know, just a little token um, to say, you know, of my apology. And he, <laughs> he did then say, it wasn't too loud, was it? <laughs> I had to be like, <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, did, I didn't argue. I just had to give him the gift and think, okay. But you know what? Since then, uh, our relationship actually has been better. And they haven't partied while we've been around anyway uh, for months. Not, not that that's like, you know, the thing. But... 
we've actually tried to connect on a real level. I started joining um, uh, a, a run thing that he, it was called Parafit. It's called Parafit. We went it. It was ten, over the summer. It was ten sessions for ten pounds. So I thought, you know, may as well give it a go. It was really fun. And actually, on the way down there, on the way back up, every now and again, we'd have a chat. And I'd get to appreciate his hectic life a little bit more. And I hope he would get to appreciate how much I really need my sleep at night. But a little bit of generosity made a really big difference. And if you're looking for opportunities to be generous, then we've got something coming up uh, from the 17th to the 19th of February called Love Guildford. Hopefully you've seen something about it. Hopefully you've heard something about it. But we, we want to put this into our generosity, into action, into the, into the parish around us. And we don't want to come up with all the ideas. Actually, we want you guys to come up with the ideas. It's not going to, or as a staff team, all we want to do is inspire you and encourage you to come up with what is your heartbeat for this parish? What is your heartbeat for, the, for Guildford, for this area? And how can you help bring it to be? In your generosity of giving time, in your generosity of giving uh, of, of your uh, a listening ear, your resources, a few days out of a half term, how can you extend simple generosity that can make a huge difference? Oh, look, I've already done that. That's good. Last few things. What prevents you from being generous? There is a thing that stops us, isn't there? There is a thing that, that, that keeps our hands in our pockets. There's a, there's a thing that, that stops us from reaching out. That's not God. What is it that prevents us from being generous? And how can we combat those things? I've just got a, um, a little thing for you to think about. First things first, like in this community, we have to receive God's grace. If you want to be generous, you've got to receive God's grace. You can't do it yourself. Don't try. It'll wear you out. It'll run you down. God doesn't want you to give out of a sense of duty. He wants you to give out of a sense of love. And you can only do that if you receive his grace. Next, we've got to accept one another for who we are. Like in this, in, in this community that we read here, there was, there was no, there's that hierarchy, none, none of that hierarchy. We need to accept people for who we, who we are and where we are. And then we need to be intentional with it. You can't just do it by accident. You have to choose. It is a sacrifice. It is a hard thing to do. And then you've got to keep doing it again and again and again. We need to daily receive God's grace. We need to daily accept one another. We need to daily be intentional so that generosity is something that grows in us over time and becomes like that community where people see it and they're like, me likey, me likey. The final thing, you've got to be real. You can't fake it, you can't false it. So a spirit-filled community is a generous community. Sorry, that was quite long. I wonder if uh, let's should we all stand? Now, what what I I really I I don't want to uh, to 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 like to bash you or to do you down because you know what St Saviour's is an incredibly generous church and I know you're incredibly generous people, but we've got to come back to this and to say. For this to be something that we, we live and we embody, we need to receive God's grace first. And so why don't, why, don't we, why don't we open our hands out and 
And I don't, I don't know if there are particular people who in your life you find it difficult to be generous towards, that just for some reason they wind you up and you couldn't do something nice to them if it depended on you. But thankfully it doesn't. So why don't we just, uh, yeah, you guys, you want to come over? Why don't we just say, God, look, I, I need your grace. If I'm going to be a person of, of generosity, if I'm going to live this infectious, this infectious faith well, I've got to receive your grace.